everybody good? Everybody is 150 times too quiet tonight. So let's all just say, we well, really, you could, you could have a lot. <laughs> what you say? Your mama? Is that what you said? All right. All right, on three, either amen, your mama, your granny, your auntie, preach, shut up devil, uh, get in between me and my makeup, something on three, just to vocalize, just to get some oxygen flowing in this room because you guys are way too quiet. I, I can sense it. So on three, are you ready? Are you ready? I'm not the only loud person in this church. Come on. Are you ready? All right, on three. One, two, three. Okay. All right. One more time. Different one. You got to choose something different. On three. One, two, three. All right. So, we just needed that. That We all needed that. John... John verse 17, we're going to start in. Well, I appreciate everything that's happened so far. The worship was awesome, guys. The offering and Bishop blessing us via voicemail. Did you hear him start to preach? He preached on the voicemail. If we heal, we could get more healed. If we bless, we're going to get more blessed. You know, she said, Pastor Dustin, when he answered. I said, okay, all right, I got you. I said, Bishop's a higher anointing, but you can go with the pastor's office if you need to. John 17, verse 14. Everybody there? This is red letter. That means Jesus spoke this. It says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. It's going to be a key verse for tonight. Notice that. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Notice that. But you should keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also, notice, I also have sent them into the world. It's talking about you guys. It's talking about the church. In verse 19, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Can I get an amen? Can I get a Baptist cough? Can I get a Presbyterian nod? All right, thank you. Let's look over at Matthew 5. Actually, Matthew, yeah, Matthew 5. <laughs> I'm going to get you responding with it. It's the last thing I do tonight. You go respond. You go laugh. You go have a good time. You go smile. We got Hoss back with us. We prayed for you last week, Hoss. Hoss is on his bed of affliction, and we prayed him back to health, back to life. I said last week, I said, Hoss, you know what I prayed for you? I said, God, you need Hoss because I need Hoss. Don't take him home yet. I need him. You need him. He's too young to go. He hasn't finished his race. Just because Bishop wrote his book doesn't mean Hoss has to write his book. So, Matthew 5 and verse 13. You there? It says, red letter again, Jesus speaking, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor... 
Can I get a flavor? Can I get a flavor? How shall it be seasoned? He got that. How shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Verse 14, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Verse 15, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. What is a bushel? Nobody knows. Okay. Just old church song. Nobody knows what a bushel is. Nor did they light a lamp and put it under a basket. Why? Because that's a fire hazard. To put a candle, I mean a basket over a candle, that is a fire hazard. It's not smart. Don't put blankets, baskets, pillows, anything over a candle because your house will be lit on fire. But notice, you put it on a lampstand. Why? Because it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16, Therefore, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I feel like a preacher tonight. I'm going to read that one more time. That they may see your good works. Help me, Sue. They may see your good works and they will glorify your Father in heaven. Amen? If you're taking notes tonight, Todd, my message is in it, not of it. As you know, as you can see already, we like to have a good time at church. We like to enjoy ourselves at church. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to smile. God's a happy God. He's a joyful God. He wants you to be happy. And so uh, we're going to have a good time. So, like I said, the title of my message is in it, but not of it. Let's look back over at John 17 real quick. John 17. John 17. And John 17, we're going we're gonna to put it in part there. John 17. So, realize this in John 17. This is red letter, like I said. And Jesus is praying for his disciples. But realize, when he's praying for his disciples, he's not just praying for his immediate 12 disciples. He's praying for his church, which we are a part of. We are 2,000 years later still Jesus' disciples. We are a part of his church, and he's praying this not just for the disciples there at the moment, but he's praying this for the church to come. And notice what he says in John 17, in verse. Uh, we're going to start in verse 15 or 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because, notice, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. In verse 15, it says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. So, as we get going tonight, we're going to talk about being in the world, but not of the world. And realize this, that's the only way you're going to be an effective follower of Jesus in this world. That's the only way you're going to affect people is if you're in it, but you're not of it. 
How many know if you are the same substance as everybody else you're walking around with, they don't want what you have because you're the exact same as they are? There has to be a distinct difference in the life of a follower of Jesus than an unbeliever. you got to be in it but not of it. And how many know the church world will go one extreme or the other? Can we talk about extremes here? And we got the one side, which is breaking Amish, Amish mafia. <laughs> we got the, uh, what's, what's those other people that are out there? Not Amish, Mennonites. Okay, we got, we got part of the Christian world, the, the Amish mafia, Mennonites. And so their idea is, I'm going to remove myself from all of the world... So I'm holy, so I'm sanctified, so I'm blessed, and so the world cannot corrupt me. And they're totally defeating the purpose of why Jesus sent the church, is to affect the world. How can you change the world if you're not in the world? That's why those people that do that are completely anti-scriptural. When you go and start your own community, your own commune, your own little place where all the Christians hang out. And how many know it doesn't have to be Amish or Mennonite people. Church people do that. And they create their own little culture, their own little world, and they stay in it. You are not living the life that Jesus meant for you to live. Because you cannot affect the world if you're not brave enough and bold enough to go into it. And realize you got to have something on the ball enough to go into the world and be different than them. That they see something in your life that they want. Now we got that extreme, which is a lot of church people. Not just Amish and Mennonite people. Church people, people that go to this church. They live in their little community. They live in their little commune. They don't talk to sinners. They don't hang around with unbelievers. They do their own thing, and that's why nobody's reached and they're not living the life that Jesus meant for them to live. How can you reach people if you're not going to go into the world? But then we got the other extreme, which is the more liberal Christians. And they say, well, if I'm going to reach the world, then i got to be like the world. Right? So let me dress like them. Let me talk to them. I'm trying to reach the people in the club, so i got to go to the club, right? Be all things to all men. Hey, if they doing the booty dance, I got to do the booty dance. Because we're trying to reach people. Okay? You know, if, if, if they're in the club drinking, then I need to be all things to all men. I got to get on their level. And so, you know, give me a little bit of that drink real quick, you know, because I got to be like you to reach you. So that's the other extreme Christian people fall in. And notice what ends up happening. If you go that extreme, you end up being just like them. And you're not affecting anybody. Because if you're the same as them, there's no reason they need what you got. There has to be a distinct difference in your life, in the way you live, in the way you talk, in the way you act. And that's why Jesus said, you need to be in it, but not of it. Because that's the only way you can properly affect the world. It's not that you go hide from it. Not that you're scared of the big bad world, because if I go into the world, I'm going to end up being a bad person. No, not that you're scared of it, but not on the same hand, you're not going to be like the world to try to reach the world.
There's a fine balance that you're in it and not of it. Like I talked about last week, you need to be all things to all men. That doesn't mean you change your lifestyle to fit their lifestyle to reach them. No, it means you understand things from their point of view and try to get on their level to relate to them to reach them. Not in a condemning way, not in a judging way, but in a real way because you care about them. But not changing your whole lifestyle to get with them. How many know it says in the Bible that Jesus called his disciples, because a lot of his disciples were fishermen. Can I get amen for the fishermen in the house? Want to be fishermen like myself? He said that you're going to fish for men. And how many know? A fisherman doesn't dress up like a fish and get on the hook to catch other fish. And that's what a lot of church people do. Well, I got to be just like them. That's as dumb as a fisherman dressing up like a fish and getting himself on the hook like he's going to catch something. He go, well, he's going to catch a beluga whale. That's what he's going to catch, and he's dead. But notice the fisherman is outside of the water, living differently than the fish on a higher level then it can pull the fish up to his level beans and cornbread you got it. it doesn't go down to the fish's level it brings the fish up to their level and that's what the church is here to do realize this Jesus was the perfect example of this he was in the world but not of it how many know the Pharisees, we mentioned this last week and Sunday, the Pharisees were like the breaking Amish people of the day, the Mennonites. I'm going to exclude myself from all sinners, all people that are not like me, and that's going to make me awesome and holy. And it didn't work. Why? Because they were not in the world. And notice the opposite didn't work because a lot of the disciples acted just like unbelievers. So that doesn't work either. But notice Jesus was our example and still is our example of living in the world but not being affected by it. Instead of the world affecting Jesus, Jesus affected the world and changed it. And that's what we are called to do as his disciples. And notice that in John 17 in verse 14. Notice what Jesus prays. He's praying this about us. He said, the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Notice, I do not pray. I repeat, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil one. Notice that Jesus realizes he's not just trying to take you out of the world because that defeats the purpose. A lot of Christians are, are hid away waiting for the rapture waiting for him to come back, hiding from the world until then with their stockpile of ammunition and canned goods. <laughs> and how many know that's not helping anybody? You hiding away from the big bad world till Jesus comes back and helps everybody. No, we're called to be in the world but not of the world. Now let's look over at Matthew. Matthew 5. You guys get anything so far? got to realize this 
Jesus didn't run from the lost and broken. He ran to the lost and broken people. Why? Because he realized the people that are lost and broken are out there in the world, and he has to go into their world to impact them. So the question for us is, since we are his disciples, since we are his church and he's called us to reach people, to change the world, to finish what he started, the question is, do we run to lost and broken people or do we run away from lost and broken people? Because Jesus said, I want you to be in it, but you're not of it. You're different than everybody. That's what makes you unique and you stand out. Matthew 5, verse 13. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor... How should it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Thank you, Suki Bear. Notice this. Jesus talking about his disciples, which all of us are, his church. He says two different things, and we're going to get into both of those. There's two different things that believers are like. His church should be like. They're like salt, and they're like light. Let me explain these one at a time. And there's so many ways we can go, but I'm just going to mention a few. First of all, it says, you are the salt of the earth. You don't have to be. When you're in Jesus, when you're part of his church, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. The first thing about salt. Why did Jesus say we were salt? Well, how many know, we realize this with all the cold weather, the snow, the ice that we've been having. When it gets icy, when it gets cold, when the roads get iced over and nothing can break up the ice, what do they put on the roads? They put salt on the roads because salt is an agent of change. Salt penetrates through the cold snow and ice and melted away that's why Jesus said you are the salt of the earth but notice if the salt's still in the trucks if the salt is still at the factory the roads will still be icy cold and frozen over why because it's not in the world but notice when the salt works is when you put it down in a cold dark frozen area how many know without God, it says in the Word of God, apart from God, people's hearts are cold, they're iced over, they're frozen over, and the only thing that can break through is God's power and God's love. And it's us. And notice that if you don't go in the world, being the salt of the world, you will not penetrate that, that frozen and stiff and hard, cold heart that they have. Because you're the salt of the earth. Why? Because salt is a change agent, and salt penetrates through things that are cold and frozen over. And that's what it says specifically in the Word of God. When you don't have God in your life, your heart is cold and frozen over, and the gospel must come to you to give you a new heart, to give you new life. So notice that when we are the salt of the earth, we should be going out into our worlds every day and breaking up the hard heartedness of people in the world. Why? Because we are the salt 
of the world. It's us. And our job is to penetrate through the cold world because we're the salt of the earth. Another thing the salt does is salt flavors things. Salt flavors things. Realize this, that Christians are supposed to be the salt of the earth. That means we're supposed to flavor the earth. That means we're supposed to be different than everybody else. How many know when you put salt on food, the right amount, it takes that food to a whole nother level? And that's what Christians are supposed to be. They're supposed to be the flavor of the world, not the, uh, the people that everybody looks at and like, I don't want anything you got because you don't flavor anything. You are boring. You are lame. You bring no flavor to this. You make everything bad. No, we're supposed to be the flavor of the world. Let's look over at Colossians 4. Colossians 4 and verse 6. Colossians 4 and verse 6, and we're going to read it here in a second. And realize this, most believers are one extreme or the other. They are the salt of the earth, like Jesus said, but either they give too much, I mean too little salt, or they give too much salt. How many know too little salt you can't tell anything's different. You can't tell any flavor. But too much salt makes the meal horrible. Makes the meal nasty. How many know if you just dump a bunch of salt on your food, it's going to be nasty. But the right amount is perfect. And a lot of Christians are either too little salty or too much salty. They're a little bit salty, or are they too much salty? How many have met a too, too much salty believer? They are the boisterous, loud believers, hello, that are a turnoff to everybody in society. The same people that hold signs up that God hates you, and he hates the world, and you guys are going to hell. How many of those, they got too much salt? <laughs> in Colossians 4, and verse 6, Let's read this. And in Colossians, it's talking about speaking to unbelievers. Notice what it says. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Notice that that's something the Apostle Paul is saying to the Colossian church, is when you speak to unbelievers, make sure you have the right amount of flavor on what you're saying. Not too little and not too much. Why? Because when you have the right amount and you have grace on your lips with other people that are not believers, that's when it touches them. That's when it penetrates through their cold and broken heart. But notice that I said, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Remember, not too little, but not too much. <laughs> Just the right amount. And that's a prayer we could always pray when we're speaking to unbelievers and people who don't know God. Let my speech be with grace, seasoned with the right amount of salt, that I don't, I don't go away from that conversation. And, and one of the situations was too little. They're going to say, there's no difference in them than me. 
didn't mean much to me. But the other one is that person was a complete turnoff, completely self-righteous and prideful, and I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. Why? Because that's too much salt. Let's look back over at Matthew 5. You guys getting something tonight? We're doing some teaching this evening. Is good for you. So it says here in uh, Matthew 5 and verse 14, You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. They put it on a lampstand because it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Realize both of these things, like I said before, salt and light are change agents, and they don't work unless they're put out in the open. They're put out in the public. They're going in to the world. They're not effective sitting on the shelf. How many realize this? If we're all in here light, it's not a big deal. You know, when you're in a room full of lights, when all the lights are on, there's lamps on, there's overhead lights, all kinds of lighting. When somebody turns on another light, it doesn't make a difference because there's already light there. It's not a big deal that you're light at Church on the Rock. <laughs> we already got enough here. You know, when you, when you notice light is when it's dark, not when it's light. That's why your light is not effective just being at church. Light only stands out in dark places. Now, if we went outside with a flashlight, we would show up. We would be noticeable. Why? Because it's dark outside. That's why it's important that you go into the world, but you're not of the world. Why? Because the world is darkness, and when you're light, you're going to stand out. People are going to notice you. And notice the reason for you being noticed is not to bring the glory to yourself, but it's to bring them to God. You are a light pointing the way to Jesus. But notice, if you're the same substance as the world, you're just more darkness out there. You're not standing out whatsoever. But when you're the light of the world, darkness takes notice. Notice it says, you are the light of the world. And no one puts a light under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand that gives light to all who are in the house. Realize this, a lot of you are light on Thursday nights, but when you go to school, what are you putting over your light? <laughs> and notice it says, good for you that you're light, but if you put a basket over it, nobody can see. When you go to college, are you putting a basket over your light because you care more about what your professors and your fellow college students think about you? Are you going to be the light that God intended for you to be? When you go to your job, you're like, oh yeah, I go to church, but you're putting a basket over your light. Nobody's getting help by that. And that's why it says, when you put it under a basket, nobody's help, but when you put it on a lampstand, it gives light to everybody who are in the house. So you're light, but it's your choice whether you're going to cover it up when you go out into the world. How many know it's easy to be light in here? But what matters is tomorrow when you go out into the world, 
Do you have a, a basket over you? Are you just out in the open shining your light for Jesus? Because a lot of you will amen, say preach it, and take notes, and in your Bibles, but tomorrow there's a lamp, there's a basket going over your light. You're not being the lampstand that God called you to be because you care more about what people think about you than being the light that they need. <laughs> it's the truth. And we, we think about this. If there's so many Christians and believers around the world, why hasn't things changed? Because a lot of believers live with their light hidden where nobody can see. I mean, no... When everyone's in darkness, if you cover up your light, you're not helping anybody. You're not being any different than they are. And notice it says, Let your light so shine before men, notice, that they may see your good works, and they will glorify your Father in heaven. Notice, let your light so shine before men, don't hide it when you go out into the world. If you're going to hide it anytime, don't hide it when you're going out into the world. Why? Because they may see your good works, people that are not saved, people that are unbelievers, that need to know God. They will see your good works, and notice, they will glorify your Father in heaven. How do you shine your light? By the way you live. Quiet in this Presbyterian church this evening. How do you shine your light by the way you live? If you live like everybody else, you're the darkness. You've got to be different. In the way you talk, in the way you walk, in your actions, what you, what you are interested in, what you look at, what you listen to, are you different? And notice it says, they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And this is what I hear a lot of people say. You ready for this? Because this is going to preach, Hollis. Well, the Lord, let me, let me quote the word to you, preacher. The Lord looks at the heart. True. But people don't. <laughs> That's what a lot of people say. Well, I'm the light in my heart. I'm my, my inward man. God knows my heart. I'm the light and the salt. But how many know people don't know your heart? They just know your works. Am I preaching in the house of God tonight? <laughs> so many people make excuses. The Lord knows my heart. It's what the heart matters. But people don't because they're not God. And notice what the Word of God says. They don't know your heart. They will know you by your works. Yeah, God knows you by your heart. That's true. He doesn't know you by your works. But people will know you by your works. So if you don't live differently, if you don't act differently, if you don't talk differently, you're not shining the light. Are you getting some tonight? Some of you probably said that before. The Lord knows my heart. But people don't. They only will know you by your works. You know, it says here that they will see your good works and notice they will glorify your father in heaven realize you're shining the light not for yourself to draw men, all men unto yourself to worship you to say man you're an awesome Christian you're just a really good person God bless you no you're being the light 
to point people to Jesus, to point people to your heavenly Father so they can have a relationship with them. Let's look over at 2 Corinthians 5. We're getting somewhere now. Y'all with me? Charles, you probably said that before, haven't you? The Lord knows my heart, sir. <laughs> well, Second <laughs> Corinthians 5. Well, the secret things belong to the Lord, Chalessi. <laughs> Isn't that right? Second Corinthians 5. You guys get anything tonight? Are you picking up while I'm laying down so far? All right, good. 2 Corinthians 5, and we're going to start in verse 17. But before I read that, let me say this. Now, Jesus said, He sent you into the world, but you're not of the world. And I just want to clear something up that you think about this, that whatever you do in your life, whether you're a teacher, a doctor, lawyer, you own your own business, you work somewhere at a, a factory, whatever you do in your life, stay-at-home mom, whatever, you are sent there on mission as a missionary, as an ambassador for God there. And what you do is just as important as the pastor preaching. You need to realize that. And I want to I want to show you something because a long time ago, and a lot of Christian people still think this way, it's called the sacred versus secular debate. So pretty much that means is so many Christian people have been taught wrong is if you're a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist, you're in a sacred profession. And what you're doing with your life really matters to God. But if you're doing anything else, you have a secular job. But that's not in the Bible. And a lot of Christians still believe that. Well, if I'm not a pastor or a teacher, I'm really not doing something for God. No, God has called us all to go into our own worlds. This happens to be my world. And to be an ambassador, to be a missionary on mission into the world. So if you're a believer and you're following Jesus Christ, whatever you do is sacred work, not secular. You want to know the difference between sacred and secular work? The difference between sacred and secular work is who you're doing it for. That's the difference. If you're doing your, your job, if you're doing your work to yourself, it's secular. And notice it doesn't have to just be in a church setting, just anywhere. If you're doing your job or your work to glorify yourself and for yourself, it's secular. But notice, you can be a garbage disposal man, and that be sacred work because you could do it for the glory of God. Do you know that? You could be a rap artist for the glory of God. I was looking at you, Haas. I was thinking of you. 
You could be an accountant for the glory of God. That's sacred work. You could be a business owner, a doctor, a lawyer, whatever you want to call it. What matters if it's sacred or secular is who you're doing it for. And who are you trying to bring glory to in your work and in your job? Why? Because we we mentioned this before. In these four walls, nobody's getting affected. (laughs) You got to go into the world to affect them. And how many know my job isn't out there, but your guy's job is? How many realize that? So you're called to be in the world and not of it. And what you do is important. It's sacred to God. It depends on who you're doing it for. Whose glory are you doing it for? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And notice it says in verse 19 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us that we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This verse, in verse 20, goes exactly along with what we've been talking about tonight, that you're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. Notice it says in verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. All of you in here are ambassadors from Christ in the world. And notice what an ambassador is. An ambassador is somebody sent from a different country, sent from a different kingdom to do work or business on behalf of that kingdom. An ambassador is not in their home country. And realize this, earth is no longer your home country. Heaven is your home country. And it says in the word of God, when you are saved, when you're born again, you are born from above, not from the earth anymore. And God has sent you as an ambassador to this earth to do business on behalf of the king and his kingdom. And that's all of us, not just preachers. Every one of us in here are ambassadors sent to do work for the king. One thing about an ambassador is they are not subject to the laws of the country they're living in. They are not subject to the laws of the kingdom they're living in. They are subject to the laws of the kingdom where they came from. That's why you don't have to live like the world. That's why you don't have to act like the world. That's why you don't have to expect the same thing the world expects because you don't have to live by their rules. You don't have to expect the same things that happen to the world because you're different. And you come from a different kingdom. And you're an ambassador sent here to do business for the king. And notice what the business is. To reconcile people to Christ. That's your number one business. Not for you to just get healthy, wealthy, wise, and have a good family. Your business is to reconcile people to God. That's your number one business as an ambassador. But that's only going to happen if you go into your world, but you're not of your world. And notice what a reconciler does. It brings two different parties together. 
That's what we do when we, we, try to, we go out to reach unbelievers and to reach people for God. We've got to tell them the good news of the gospel and reconcile them to God. That is our number one job as an ambassador for Him. So realize you're an ambassador and you have been sent from above to this earth to do work and business on behalf of the king and the business is reconciling people to the creator. That's your business. That's your number one business. Realize this, whatever job you do, that's your number one business. I see so many people that come to church week after week after week and they put more effort, they put more time, they put more energy into just doing natural, tedious work at their job instead of doing the real business they've been called here to do. And notice that work doesn't just pertain to preachers. It pertains to everybody because it doesn't say the preachers are ambassadors. No, everyone who has accepted Jesus and is a part of his church are sent as ambassadors. You guys get anything so far? Let's look back at John, John 17. I appreciate you guys coming tonight and listening to the Word of God. Hopefully you're getting something. John 17. In John 17, in verse 17, it says, Jesus speaking, Sanctify them by your truth. Notice, and your word is truth. We go get between you and your maker. You ready for this? All right. We can get up all in it right now. Now, if we're going to be in the world and not of the world, you ready for this? We're going to have to let God sanctify us by his truth if we're not going to be like the world. And notice what the truth is, is the word of God. You know, to bring this down down home, that you're most like the world, not when you act like the world, not when you talk like the world, not when you dress like the world, but when you think like the world. Why? Because your thinking affects all the rest. That's the root of the issue. <laughs> and I mean, no, if you think like the world, you'll be just like the world. That's why you have to let God sanctify you by His truth, which is the Word of God, the Bible, that you change the way you think, and then you'll change the way you live. And notice, that's the only way you will be different than the world, because you'll think the way God thinks about you, and not the way the world thinks about you. Because they're two completely different things. There is the world's way, and there's God's way. Romans 12, 2, let's look over here. Romans 12, 2. Just realize that if if you're saying, well, I want to be different than the world, then first of all, you're going to have to think different than the world. And the only way to think different is to let God sanctify you by His truth. And the truth is the Word of God. That means get the Word of God in you and let it change you from the inside out. You need to realize it's not important what the world thinks. It's important what God thinks because what He thinks is truth. Romans 12 In verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Realize this. There's two options for believers. To be conformed or to be transformed. And it's your choice. If you're going to be conformed to the world and the way you think and the way you do things, which that is your natural tendency if you don't get in the Word of God, then you're going to be just like them when you're out there. It doesn't matter that you're in the world because you're just like them in everything you do, the way you talk, the way you listen, what you are interested in, the way you think. Everything will be affected by that. But notice the other option is what Jesus wants to do, to sanctify you by his truth. And notice it's called the transforming of your mind. You're either conformed or transformed. And notice we we transform our thinking by the word of God if you change the way you think you'll change the way you live in Proverbs it says as a man thinks so is he you know it's interesting in Romans 12 2 that word transform is the word metamorphosis and that means we all know the story of the butterfly and the caterpillar there's a metamorphosis that takes place and that's what the word of God has the power to do to you take you from a caterpillar living on a low level but when the word of God transforms you and you renew your mind to it you metamorphosize into the butterfly flying above all the issues in society flying above where everybody else lives. Why? Because the Word of God has power to change you from one thing into something completely new. That's what the Word of God has the power to do. Why? Because you change the way you think, you'll change the way you live. And notice, the reason we go to the Word of God because the Word of God is truth. If you're going to get anybody's thoughts on how you should live, on how you should be, on what your purpose is, how many know it should be God? Because He knows everything. Let's look at verse 18. Let's, I mean, go back to John 17, and we're going to go to verse 18. Last part here, and we're going to wrap it up. John 17 and verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Let's look over at one more passage, last verse, 2 Timothy 2. You guys still here? 2 Timothy 2. And before we read this, in the verses we've been reading, especially in John, John praying over his disciples, that word sanctify keeps coming up. Sanctify, sanctified. It keeps coming up. And, and there's a reason, and some of you might not know what that term means, because it's a very uh, theological term used in the Bible. And we talked about one of the main ways that God sanctifies you is by his word. And in 2 Timothy 2, we're going to read this. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 20. But before we read this, 
in the New Testament a lot, it talks about the believer being vessels. And it says a believer is a lot of things in the Bible, but one of the things it talks about the believer being is a vessel that is to be used for the glory of God, is to be used for His purpose. And so we're going to read here in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 20. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, jealousy, and some for dishonor. Verse 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel, notice, for honor, what's the word, sanctified, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now, the Word of God speaks a lot about vessels, like I said. And if you didn't know anything about the Old Testament, you're not going to get the significance of vessels. So I'm going to give you a little lesson in it. The reason he chooses the term vessels is because in the Old Testament, when they would be in the tabernacle or the temple, there was a lot of different items they would use in worship. Uh, they would use uh, different vessels to wash people, to cleanse people before they worship before God. There were certain vessels they would use to take the blood of the animal they sacrificed to atone for their sins. There was all kinds of vessels used in the Old Testament in the way they worshiped. So there's a reason why they use that in the New Testament because all the people at that time would know what they were talking about. And one of the main things that was important for a vessel to be used by God and for His worship and for His glory in the Old Testament, the number one thing that the vessel needed to be was sanctified. Or in other words cleansed it couldn't have any dirt on it it couldn't have been used in other parts of worship or daily life it had to be perfectly cleansed for God to use it and notice it talks about in Timothy to somebody who wants to be used by God he said you're a vessel and notice God doesn't use Vessels of just gold and silver anymore. He uses vessels that are people now. But notice, for you to be properly used by God, you're going to have to let Him sanctify you to cleanse you. And notice, how do you get cleansed? By His Word, for Him to be able to use you as much as He wants to use you. How many know it's not up to God how much He uses you? It's up to us how much He uses us. Because we can be as cleansed and as sanctified as we want, or we can be as dirty as we want. But notice, if we want to be used by God greatly, the cleaner vessels get used more. In Ephesians 5.26, let's read this real quick. Are you getting what, what I'm saying tonight? In Ephesians 5.26, Jesus speaking about his love for the church. Notice what it says, that he might sanctify and cleanse her, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church, which we are. Notice, with the washing of the water 
by the word. That's what cleanses you. That's what washes you is when you get in the word of God and you let the word of God transform your thinking. You let it transform every part of you. That's how you sanctify yourself. And that's how God sanctifies you and cleanses you. Notice, by the washing of the water by the word. Notice that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she should be holy and without blemish. I'm going to share one more point with you before we close. You guys still here? So in that Old Testament worship, in the temples, like I said, there was certain vessels they would use, and the number one priority or the number one requirement for those vessels is that they were sanctified or cleansed so that the priests could use them for worship. But the other use or the other thing that had to be a quality or requirement for those vessels and it's another definition for sanctified is that they were set apart in other words they were for one use and one use only that was another requirement for that vessel to have you couldn't take the same vessel you wash people's hands and use it to drink out of you couldn't take that vessel out of the temple and just use it for random things or it would no longer be able to be used. And notice, you are a vessel, young people. And notice, one requirement is that you let God sanctify you by His Word and let it cleanse you. But the other is that your vessel, you as a person, everything you have, it's for one use and one use only. You don't share what God has given you for anybody else's glory. It's for His glory and His glory alone. How many of us are using our gifts, our talents, what God has given us as a vessel for something else other than God's purpose? Because He can't use vessels like that anymore. He's looking for vessels that are not only cleansed and sanctified, but vessels that have decided, I'm set apart for one use and one use only, and it is to bring glory to God and do what God has called me to do and say what God has called me to say and live for His glory and live to see people reached and live for His kingdom. That's the only life to live. I'm living to build the church. I'm living to see people's lives saved. I'm only living for one purpose and one purpose alone, not to make money not to just get married, not to just have more kids, not to have a white picket fence, not to just get a raise. I'm living for His glory and His glory alone. And that's the only fulfilling life. Are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? But notice, it's your choice, not God's choice. God wants to sanctify you by His Word. He's given you His Word. That is His part of it. But you're going to have to let it cleanse you. He wants you to be used for His glory and His glory alone, alone, but it's your choice to let Him use you like that. He's not going to force you. And notice it says in 2 Timothy 2, the last verse here, it says when you're like that, when a person has 
let God sanctify them. Notice it says that you will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, and notice, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. I'm going to read one last verse out of the message as we close here. But as we close, you've got to realize this. God is not looking for perfect vessels. He's looking for willing vessels. If you give yourself to God, like I said, He will help you. He will cleanse you. He will do everything to make you a vessel worthy of His calling. But notice, He's not looking for perfect vessels. He's looking for willing vessels to use for His glory. In Matthew 5, verse 17. Actually, we'll start in verse 13. I'm going to read it from the message. You could just listen to it. It says, Let me tell you why you are here. Are you listening tonight? Let me tell you why you're here, church. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste God's godliness? You've lost your usefulness, and you will end up in the garbage. Verse 14. Here's another way to put it. You are here to be light, bringing out the God colors in this world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you do not think that I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on the hilltop, on the light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt people to be open with God. This generous Father we have in heaven. Would you guys get anything tonight? You guys blessed me for listening. You were good listeners. I realized I did some teaching tonight. But the Word of God will change you. It has power to transform you from the inside out. So let me know we're going to be in the world, but not of the world. That's how we're going to be effective as followers of Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for today.